Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here today, and welcome to uh, Gateway Community Church and uh, the first Sunday of Lent. If you're visiting with us, and if this is your first time with us, special welcome to you, and again, thanks. We began a new series of conversations today that are going to carry us through the Lenten season. So we're going to be talking for the next six weeks about Jesus Answers Our Questions. Now, I'm going to, a couple of times today, talk out of both sides of my mouth, so I'm going to say something, and then I'm going to say however something. And we'll start with that from the very beginning. Jesus was not uh, an answer man. This was, in fact, not the way he approached spirituality, and that's an important thing for us to remember. He didn't answer every situation and line out exactly what we were supposed to do or how we were supposed to behave in every situation. That's not how he did religion. The Pharisees made attempts at that. There were, in fact, thousands of regulations that lined out exactly what you were supposed to do and not supposed to do on the Sabbath, for instance. Islam often approaches that way. There are Sharia law covers elaborately how you're supposed to dress, how you're supposed to bank. This is not the way Jesus approached the spiritual life. He was not an answer man. In fact, we don't even have much actual teaching from Jesus. You know, we've got one long sermon. We've got him answering a lot of questions and a lot of situations, but we don't have loads and loads of sermon material, teaching material from Jesus. He was not an answer man. But in his teaching, what he did instead of doing that is he talked about, in big picture terms, how to connect to God, what that means, what it looks like. And then, through his life and his ministry and in his death and resurrection, he made that connection possible. So for Jesus, the theme of his teaching, I've said this before here at Gateway, the theme of Jesus' teaching was he used this phrase more than any other, more than prayer, more than any spiritual words, kingdom of God. And what he meant by kingdom of God was Sovereign God being in control over my life and me being connected and rightly related to him. This was the theme of Jesus' teaching. In other words, he wasn't an answer man. However, there were some specific topics that Jesus addressed. And some of those topics have bearing on you know, our everyday lives and sometimes in important ways. For instance, he talked about government a couple of different times in a couple of different ways. And we're going to talk about that over the next six weeks. This is an interesting time in the life of Americans for us to look at this. But Jesus talked about government. He talked about prayer. We're going to have some comments about that one Sunday. And we're going to look at prayer as one of our... Jesus answered our questions. But we're going to begin today with an overview question. And you're going to have to let me give you the question and then tell you why we're even asking the question and who I think that question addresses. Because when you hear this first question, you're going to think, no, nope, I never asked that one. But I bet you did. We're going to begin with Jesus answering the question, how much do I need to know? How much do I really need to know? Let me explain. I have over the years many times had some of you and many others come to me as parents and ask, oh my goodness. You know, she asked, what in the world is heaven? Or where did God come from? I don't have any idea what to say. How much do we need to know to be able to be an effective parent? This is often the question that really drives why some of us don't want to pray in a public setting. Uh, we go to a small group or 
death if someone asks us to pray. In fact, that's why we don't want to even go to small group or why we don't want to go to Bible study. This question is really what prevents some of us from diving deeper in in relationships here and connecting more deeply with people here at Gateway. I'm afraid I'm not religious enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. How much do we need to know to be okay? I think on the other hand, this question drives those of us who feel like the real key is to have as much information as we can. Some of you grew up like I did in one of those churches where they did Sunday school and uh, we were in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And, and I grew up thinking that the key was to have as much information as I could have, to know as much as I could know about the Bible and about God and to be able to answer Bible trivia questions. How much do we really need to know in order to be okay? Now, Jesus doesn't directly answer this question, but he offers a profound and honestly, a counterintuitive framework for, for how to think about this question that might surprise us. How much do we need to know? And we're going to begin by looking at John chapter 13. We're going to focus our attention on two passages this morning, both of which happen in the same context in the last night of Jesus's life. In John chapter 13, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to John 13. And if you have no idea where it is, that doesn't mean you don't know enough. That just means you need to use the table of contents. Or if you've got the Bible app on your phone, just look up John and go there. It will also be on the screen for you. Jesus is going to begin to answer the question for us, how much do I really need to know to be okay? John 13, I'm going to be looking at verses 31 through 35. If you're the kind of person that underlines stuff in your Bible, I want you to underline verses 34 and 35. This is epic. So let me give you a little bit about the context. This is happening, as I said, on the last night of Jesus' life, and he has just identified that Judas is going to betray him. And Judas has left the room. So you can't have a more profound context. And then Jesus says this. When he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, while I'm with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, bold, underscore, and italicize, if for no other reason, because of the context. But let's add one other emphasis here. What Jesus essentially says is, I'm going to add to the commandments. What? Now, it had been said before, love one another. That was said in the Old Testament a number of times. But what Jesus does here is he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Most of the world, even if they're not even religious, much less if they're not Christians, most of the world knows what the Ten Commandments are. Almost, almost every school kid in America knows what the Ten Commandments are. They can probably name one or two, and they might be able to butcher one or two more. Fifty years ago, you know, a significant percentage of American school children memorized the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, epic, big, 
morality based on the Ten Commandments in Western culture, what Jesus essentially says here is, I'm going to add to that. I'm going to add a commandment. It's as if he says, take out the chisel and the stone, we're adding number 11. Or maybe he's saying, let's give a title to those Ten Commandments, and it's love one another. He's adding a commandment. This is epic and it's audacious. And no self-respecting rabbi would ever do this unless he was the son of God or he was crazy. Secondly, he's calling them to love one another. Now, you may know, you may have heard this before, there were four Greek words for love. There was family love, there was brotherly love, there was the love of a friend, and there was this word, agape, which meant divine love, God love, love that has its origin, its foundation in God, love that looks like God. Jesus says to them, I want you to agape one another. This was a very high standard. And then he adds to it, doesn't he? He says, I want you to agape one another. I want you to agape one another just as I'm agapeing you. And then he went out and died for them. So this is what I want you to do to one another. This is the new commandment, commandment number 11, maybe title over the first 10. I want you to go out and be willing to die for one another. I want you to love one another. Very high standard and, pause for dramatic effect, this was the standard. This was the standard. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. Now, in the ancient Near East, rabbis would collect students almost the way we go to college. And most of you I know went to college. It's not like there was an application process. There was really just kind of an agreement between student and rabbi. And rabbis would gather a collection of students around them. And they knew how Gamaliel argued. When they made arguments, they sounded just like Gamaliel. They knew Gamaliel's take on Deuteronomy. They knew what Gamaliel thought of the Psalms and of Isaiah. And if they went into the marketplace or they were in the synagogue, someone knew that they were Gamaliel's disciple. How? Because they could raise their hands and say, well, Dr. Gamaliel says about that psalm this. And about that section of Deuteronomy, this is what Dr. Gamaliel thinks. But Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by your agape. Not by your information, by your agape. So, It's not about how much we know, it's about how much we love. If you miss everything else this morning, don't miss that. It's not about how much we know. It's about how well we love. It's not about how much we know, it's about, he said, pausing, waiting for them to respond in a chorus. It's not about how much we know, it's about... Okay, they said super enthusiastically. Some of you will remember during the same period, the same night, Jesus is talking to Peter and he ends up telling Peter that Peter's going to betray him. Peter says, no, never, Lord. I'll go to the death for you later that night. Jesus is arrested and he's taken to the house of Caiaphas. Now, Diane and I were in Israel a few weeks ago And they know where the house of Caiaphas is. They know the room where Jesus was probably tortured. We went into that room. It was profound. It was really incredible. 
Outside of that house, Peter's in the courtyard like a good friend would be. Follows behind, sees the torches, the soldiers. He, what's going to happen to my good friend Jesus? He's hanging out in the courtyard. There's a fire. Peter goes over and warms himself. There's a woman there, and she says, I think you were with him. And Peter, who hours earlier had said, Never, Lord, I will die for you. I'll be your shield. Peter says, I wasn't with him. She hears him talking. She says, No, I recognize that accent. You're from Galilee. You were definitely one of his disciples. Absolutely not. A third time, exactly as Jesus says, she says, no, I've seen your face. You were with Jesus in the marketplace. And now Peter trots out some expletives. Absolutely not. Then he realizes what he's done. Three days later, Jesus is resurrected. This is unbelievable news. It's rock star news. It changes the world. It's why we're here this morning. It certainly changed Peter's life. Hallelujah. It's all good except Peter's got to face him. Peter's got to now go meet with the guy who told him that he was going to betray him, knew that he would, and knows now that he did. So Peter comes to Jesus and meets him. What's up, bro? And what does Jesus ask Peter? Do you love me? Not, what's the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy? Real quick, come on, Peter, spit it out. The 103rd Psalm, sixth verse, we talked about this a number of times, Peter, give it to me. Jesus says, do you love me? It's not about how much we know, it's about how well we love. Some of you know, during that last week of his life, Jesus giving this uh, parable to a crowd, and he's really talking about the ultimate assessment. He says, I mean, he agrees with those scholars and religious thinkers who think that there's one day going to be a separating, and God is going to actually judge us. And Jesus says there's going to be a separating sheep from goats. Listen to this. The standard by which the terms of the evaluation, the standard by which we're going to be evaluated is, did we care for those least fortunate? This is another way of asking, what's your love quotient? It's not about how much we know, it's about how much we love. When you came in this morning, I hope you got like a business card. Did you get that? Take that out right now. One side of that card, I want you to find the side of that card that says, religious pass card. And I want you to put this in your wallet, and I want you to use it. Anytime you're in a small group and you don't have any idea what to say or what the answer is and people seem to be looking at you, I want you to hold up your religious pass card. And I want you to say, pass, in fact, religious pass. When I ask you to groupletize on Sunday morning, those of you who are visiting today, count your blessings that you have no idea that you know what that is. When I ask you to groupletize on Sunday morning and you don't have any idea what to say, and in fact, you don't want to talk to the people next to you, two rows back, they look okay, but these people, you don't even like them. I want you to pull out your religious pass card and just say, pass, in fact, religious pass. We're going to practice right now. So you're going to pair up or triplet up with somebody who's near you, and I want one person to ask the other person, what do you think of the fourth chapter of Nahum? And instead of looking like you're a deer caught in headlights and thinking, I have no idea what a Nahum is, I want you to hold up your religious pass card. So right now, look at somebody and say, what do you think of the fourth chapter of Nahum? And I want the other person to go, religious pass, right now, go, do it. 
Once again, Ed making us do something stupid. Can I take a religious pass from the religious pass, Ed? Look, there's no shame in not knowing all the answers to Bible trivia. If you feel ashamed that you don't know all the answers to Bible trivia, you need to know that it's coming from your need to perform or fit in. It's not coming from Jesus. There's no need to be ashamed that you don't know all the answers, all the religious answers. That's not what it's about. I've given you a second card, or the flip side of the first card. The flip side says, I'm not judging, but you might be a Pharisee. So the next time someone makes you feel guilty because you don't know enough, I want you to take out of your wallet and just show them, I'm not judging, but you might be a Pharisee. Or when someone makes you feel less spiritual than they are, I want you to pull it out and say, I'm not judging, but you might be a Pharisee. So we're going to practice again. You're going to look at the person next to you, and you're going to say, what do you think of the fourth chapter of Nahum? You're going to say back to them, there's only three chapters in Nahum, and you might be a Pharisee. So do it right now. <laughs> Turn to one another and say, what do you think of the fourth chapter of Nahum? All right. I know you didn't do the second one, but you get the point. It's not about how much you know. All of us are learners. Look, you have what it takes to answer your children. You have what it takes to pray in public. You have what it takes to speak in a small group, to read scripture on stage, to consider yourself a follower of Christ you have what it takes. Now this should help those of us who tend to feel intimidated because we're not good enough or because we don't know enough or because we're not religious enough. This should also help those of us who tend to be Pharisees. We love, the Pharisees among us, we love to pile knowledge on top of knowledge. Look, we already know more about the Bible than we put into practice. And yet we add study upon study. We keep at it. We need to remember Jesus didn't look at the sheep in his evaluating parable. Jesus did not look at the sheep and say, Come you who are blessed by my Father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world because you killed that Bible study on Daniel. And in fact, you've done three Bible studies on Ephesians in less than five years. Come on in. I mean, you are good enough. You know enough. That's not what he said. It's ultimately not about how much we know. It's about how much we love. It's not about how much we know. It's about <laughs> better. And there's no but on that. Let's do it again. It's not about how much we know. It's about <laughs> there's no but. However, on the other hand, knowing God is essential. Knowing God is, in fact, pause, the essence of eternal life. If we're going to have a relationship with him, and that's his goal for us, and that's what we were designed for, that's why you feel that pang. For some of you, maybe it's like, it's been since you were 19, but you're feeling that pang again. That's why you feel that. What is there? For others of you, you've been satisfying that for years with a connection with God. That's why. Because it's what you were designed for. If you're going to have that, you've got to know him. So, we're going to look at a second passage. 
John 17, later on the same night, verses 1 through 5. Let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. John 17, 1 through 5 this time. When Jesus had spoken these words, he's done some teaching here. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Think about that. Wow, that's epic. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You may be seated. And this is, again, the last night of his life, verse 3. I want you to notice that Jesus does not define eternal life in chronological terms. In other words, he doesn't define eternal life as this really, really, really long life, even though ultimately it's what it is. He defines it in relational terms. Eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing the Son, he says. And when he speaks of knowing the Father and the Son here, he's not talking about information. He's talking about intimacy. He's talking about connection. He's talking about relationship, knowing the Father and the Son, but... Intimacy and connection and relationship require information. I have performed the wedding for some of you, so you will know this, but Diane and I will often do premarital counseling. And years ago, we got certified to offer this uh, personality inventory, temperament analysis. It's called Taylor Johnson Temperament Analysis. And, and this is not like your standard personality inventory like Myers-Briggs. Some of you have done that where it just tells you, you know, you, this is your preference or this is your preference. This is an inventory based on nine temperaments, nine kind of temperament pockets in our lives. And it, it actually has a healthy versus an, an unhealthy scale. And, and these are things that, you know, we need to know about ourselves that we can actually work on or areas that might be a concern as we manage our own life or as, as we uh, relate to others. And so we will offer this to couples, young married couples or couples that aren't married yet. And a, a, a husband-to-be does his temperament analysis, a wife-to-be, she does her temperament analysis. And then we come together and it's always awesome because, wow, I, I see that you are, you know, here, here is the nervous versus composed scale and you're way up here. Do you think that's accurate? Yes. You know, what do you think the implications of that are? Well, I don't know, and, and she's like this, and Diane and I get to say, it might mean at times you're hard to live with, you think? So this just gives us really good information so that they can know more about one another as they go into marriage. This is what's even more fun. We also, the counselor that trained us in this years ago, encouraged us to get the bride-to-be to take the same test on the husband, and the husband-to-be to take the test on the bride-to-be. Wow, so you rated yourself as super composed. She actually thought you were freakishly nervous. Why do you think that is? What's up with that? It gives us great information and great discussion about the couple so they can learn more about one another. Why? Because just forewarned is forearmed. You go into marriage, you just have more information. That information database builds the health of relationship. It prepares you for the good times. It prepares you for conflict. The more you know in the relationship, the better. Hello! 
It's the same with God. He's a relationship. The more we know, the better. The more we're able to relate to him, the more we're able to understand him. It is, after all, a relationship. And relationship just builds the information database. I know more about Diane now than I did six or seven years ago when we were early in marriage. <laughs> and that knowledge helps me love her better. I know more now how she reacts to certain things, so I don't say those things. <laughs> I know now better what will thrill her, so I say those things. And healthy relationships require a healthy knowledge database. It is the same with God. This is why we talk about knowing God. It's not to pass a Bible trivia test. It's because it helps us in navigate that relationship. It's a hard enough relationship as it is. If you don't have enough information, it's almost impossible. This is why we read the Bible. To know more about Him. There's nothing magical about the Bible. Parts of the Bible are boring. We read the Bible because it gives us information about God. It's an accurate account of God's interaction with faithful people. So it's not true that it doesn't matter at all how much information we know. When we say it's not about information, it's about love. What we mean is our connection to God is not based on how much we know. God doesn't evaluate us on how much we know. We don't need to be ashamed because we don't know enough. You'll never know enough. That's not God's primary concern. But knowledge is required if this relationship is going to grow and benefit us. Think of your marriage again. So let's return to our opening question. How much do we need to know? And now we're ready to give an answer. We need to know an increasing amount. It's a journey. It's a relationship. We're growing in our knowledge of Him. You don't need to have it all. You don't have it all. You don't need to know as much as that person who intimidates you. You don't need to know as much as the person standing next to you or sitting next to you. Right now, you need to know as much as you know. Seriously. Right now, you need to know as much as you know. Seriously. Remember, he's examining how well you love, not how much you know. But, if you love him, you will want to know him more. You'll be tweak. You'll want to press in. Something will cause you to want to press in. It's raining and I lost an hour of sleep, but I'm going to go to church. I want to read about that. What does that article say? What does it mean to pray? I'm going to try it. That means the fact that if you love him, you'll want to know him more. That means you'll have periods when you feel especially inspired to lean into your relationship with God and learn. Take advantage of those periods. Seize them. It also means that you will have slack periods when you don't feel like this at all. Learn how to rouse yourself because you're missing out on an eternal life when you do not pursue connection with God. And pursuing that connection with God means learning more about Him. In Romans 12, 11, the Apostle Paul encourages us, quote, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. And why does he offer that reminder? Because he knows that there are times when our zeal falters. 
And remember, as we said, this is why we read the Bible. The Bible is a fully accurate account of how God has interacted with faithful people over the course of centuries. It's how he acts. It's what he likes. It's what he dislikes. If we want to relate to him, if we want to know him, we'll read the Bible. And if we love him, we will want to know him. And if we want to know him, we'll know his story. Okay, let me offer one final note. Let's summarize where we are. It's not about how much you know, it's about how well you love. But loving him means you'll want to know him. So the real answer to how much do we need to know is you're right where you need to be, but you need to know an increasing amount. We grow. It's not about making a decision, oh, here I am, I'm a member of a church now. It's a, it's a, that, it doesn't matter. It's about growing in a connection with him. So how much do we need to know? An increasing amount. You're great right where you are right now as long as you're pointed toward growing and increasing in your knowledge of him. Final note, special final note. I've had some conversations over the last six months that I know that there are a couple of people who have been coming to Gateway who are just kind of new to this and discovering this. And that is awesome. Once again, you are in exactly the right place. There may be others of you who are here this morning, or you may have someone in your life that you're thinking about or praying for that falls into this category, who has no desire to know. No desire. There's never a tweak. There's never a sense of, "Mm, uh, you know, what's that about? Never. There's never a a leaning in, wow, I'd I'd like to know how to read the Bible. Let 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 me try. There's never a desire to learn how to pray. There's never a desire to connect with people who also love God and are are trying to pursue that same path, who who are maybe even deeper in their understanding of what God has done through Jesus Christ. If you have no desire to know him, or you're praying for someone who has no desire to know him, I want to be clear. That is an indication either that you have the spiritual flu or that you are, as the Apostle Paul says, spiritually dead. In other words, it's not okay. I don't care if you grew up going to Baptist Sunday school every week. I don't care if you went to Catholic school until you were in the ninth grade. If you have no desire to know him, then something is wrong spiritually. Because when he begins to connect in us, he begins to create that desire. And if there is no desire, now I know that I'm talking to some people who have overly realized self-critical consciences. Turn that down. There's a good indication that you're not in this category because you got up this morning and you don't smell and you came to church. So that's good. But if you have no desire to know him, something's wrong. You need to drink plenty of fluids and go to spiritual bed and take care of the flu. Or it may be that there is no spiritual life in you. And what do you do in that case? Well, what you do in that case is, or what you pray for someone to do in that case that you know who's in your life is you get honest and you say, I don't even have any idea if I know who you are or anything about you and I don't know if I care but I want to want to. So 
would you make yourself real to me? Would you show yourself to me in a way that I can understand? Because right now I don't get it. Would you begin to peel back the layers of this through something that that weird guy says or through something I listen to or something I read? Show me what to read. Introduce the right influences to me and pique my interest. Take me in. Or some of you may be this close and you've begun already to have that internal thing tickled. Look, you know, Jordan said earlier in the nine o'clock service, you're not here by accident. You're not here because you thought, I want to learn more about religion. You are here because God is stirring you. Seriously. And if you're this close, then what you need to know is, it's really simple. It's not easy. It's a stinking big deal, but it's really simple. You need to say, my best efforts in life have gotten me here, and it's not a great place. And I know there's something more. I know that there is a space inside that needs to be filled with what only you can offer. I'm beginning to get that, and I think I believe the story. Would you come into my life and be the director of my life? I want to turn my life over to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you come in and be the center and the director of my life? And if that's real, get ready, because he will take that very seriously. <laughs> And he'll begin to do just that. And he'll begin to pique that interest. And you'll begin to grow. It's not about how much you know. It's about how well you love. So what do we need to know? An increasing amount. And if you're in a place where the amount of what you know about God is increasing... You are in a great place. I don't care if you have no idea how to spell Nahum. Let's pray together. Lord, I don't know what you have said or to whom or how, but I pray uh, in Jesus' name for the hearts of those, especially this morning, to whom you are speaking places where you are stirring right now. We give you permission to move. We do the best that we know how, Lord, to open our hearts and our, our spirits up to you. And Father, for any of us here this morning who are saying that to you right now, I pray that you would seal this moment And for many of us, Lord, I am thankful for the reminder that it's about how well we love. Now, that test is harder to pass, Lord. And we don't do that without your activity in our lives. And we give you permission to move in our lives, to make us more loving, to make us more like you. We thank you. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. It's so great to have you. Go in peace.